I stopped using lotion and I started using coconut oil, which is so cool. It's really nice and a little bit goes a long way, but I'm always a little bit shiny. <laughs> no, but I, and I smell like food, <laughs> which I kind of like. I always smell like food anyway. Um, that's not relevant to anything, is it? Um, so I, uh, this, is a, this is a hard summer. Uh, this is a hard summer for me. This is a hard summer for a lot of people I know all around. I don't know why. I don't know what the hell is going on that everybody's having such a hard time. And um, I don't want to talk about... Uh, I'm not here to talk about details of the hard time, but I'm talking about, I want to talk about how to have a hard time. You know, how, how to have a... Uh, how a practitioner has a hard time. You know, and the way it's different. Or the, an invitation to a different way of having a hard time. Um, uh, I... Uh, was going to give a talk on uh, a fascicle from the Shobogenzo, so I want to introduce you to these words. So there's this, uh, this bloke called Dogen, who was born in 1200. He went to China to find real Buddhism, because apparently they didn't have it in Japan. Maybe he just couldn't see it, or he wasn't looking hard enough, or whatever. Um, or maybe he was 26, because he was. Um, and so, <laughs> and I was a 26-year-old boy, and nothing was quite good enough, you know? I would have gone anywhere to find the real thing. Um, turns out it's not out there. Um, and uh, so, but he, he found what he thought was a real thing and brought it back from China to Japan in about 1220 something. Um, by which, by, you know, in, in the Kamakura period, uh, that's middle aged, 26 years old. Right? He died when he was about 54. Um, and he uh, started the, the, one of the first schools of exclusive Zen practice in Japan. I say exclusive Zen practice because there were a lot of schools, like uh, he was ordained in what's called the Tendai sect, which is still there. It's outside of Kyoto, Mount Hiei. Um, the temple's called Enrakuji. And they did a little bit of everything, you know? Um, but there was a period where all of these monks from the Tendai sect... Um, started focusing on one practice and start establishing schools based around doing one practice exclusively. The idea is kind of like digging one deep well, you know, rather than having a little bit of a. Um, you ever notice that when you I don't I don't see sizzlers anymore, but um, unfortunately, um, but you ever notice that when you went to Sizzler. Or some kind of a hometown buffet. I don't know what they have. We used to have King's Table in California. Um, you put you put everything kind of on your plate, and it, and it, and it made so that you have a lot of shitty stuff. <laughs> you know, instead of some kind of like, you know, you know, delicately composed and paired things. It's like asparagus goes good with fish. It's just like no, I'm putting every. And then you made your Sunday, and the Sunday was very problematic. You know, like gummy bears and M and M's on it. So. So it's like, let's focus on this. You know, you ever, when you season a vegetable with just salt and pepper and you're like, geez, that's, how is that so good? You know? Um, so that was the spirit of these one practice schools that were arising in the Kamakura period in Japan. So Dogen's a founder of that and we're the inheritance of that. All we do is sit. Of course, that's not all we do. Um, but that's the, uh, the anchor of the whole situation. 
And he was a, a prolific writer, and he wrote, all of his essays were collected into something that they call the treasury of the true Dharma eye. I feel like the word true is a little, a little extra. It doesn't, I don't like when people say what they're doing is true or orthodox or something like that. It usually kind of, you know. Um, but the tre- we, let's, just, let's just pretend like it doesn't say true. We'll call it the treasury of the Dharma eye. And that has about 92 chapters. Some of them are one page long. Some of them are 12 pages long. Um, uh, with all the footnotes, it's in five volumes in English. Um, and there's a text in there called Zenki. It's also Reb Anderson's, one of Reb Anderson's Dharma names, Zenki. Zen, it's also in Kosho's name. Uh, uh, Zen, is, it's like a vertical, actually, oh, it used to be in here. It's like a vertical stick with three horizontal lines with a little roof on it. And it means everything. It means like totality. You know? Uh, complete. Thorough. Um, and then key means uh, the workings. In kind of like an engineering sense. The dynamic workings. So Zen key means total dynamic workings or total dynamic functioning or the whole works. Yeah. So some people have had rakasus that were, if they got ordination from Rev and they look on the back, sometimes he writes his name, uh, the whole works. Yeah. Because it sounds better than Harold, um, which is his birth name. Um, so, uh, Zenki, I want to talk about Zenki, because Zenki is important when we're suffering. Um, to see everything as a total dynamic functioning. See everything as a total dynamic functioning. So for me, I could talk about this without getting too emotional to one person, but to come out in front of so many people. I've been in, I was in a relationship for nine years with a, my partner, and she was a priest too, and we met at the monastery. She um, came to the monastery because she was fleeing Katrina. She lived in New Orleans. And then we had this relationship for many years. We started a Zen center in New Orleans. And that just ended, that relationship just ended uh, about a month and a half ago. And I noticed that there's this part of us, when we're experiencing pain, that we uh, solidify aspects of it and revolve our attention around those solidified aspects of it, which are a photocopy of a snapshot of a part of the total dynamic functioning. And we pour all of our attention into that. Photocopy of a snapshot of the total dynamic functioning. Some two-dimensional replica of an idea about total dynamic functioning. And that's our reality. And we revolve our... And we re-injure ourselves. Every revolution we make around this concept of what's happening and why it's painful. So I'll say, I'm like this, or she's like this, and this is what's happening, and this isn't fair, and all that. And it's like, it's it's a slap in the face, the total dynamic functioning. When we seize up on something and revolve our attention around it and sell ourselves short of... um, being nourished by the reality of what's happening and being met by the reality of what's happening and meeting the reality of what's happening. So the practitioner, our, our yogic endeavor is 
the energy in us that is desire, desire for safety, desire for union, desire for transcendence, to pour that simply into an attention that allows yourself to, have, to, to, to meet reality, to meet the total dynamic functioning, to see the total dynamic functioning. And not selecting and rejecting or, or, or fragmenting yourself around it. Yeah. Um, the word, uh, having the word should sounds like uh, the most absurd thing in the world. Having the word fair sound like the most absurd thing in the world. Who, where, where, you know, it's like we, it's like we're creating a parallel universe that's running right next to ours where everything's okay and we're trying to figure out how to hop into it. You know, instead of the receiving the total dynamic functioning of this life as it is right now. With everything. With everything. So in the total dynamic functioning, the Zenki fast, I just have deja vu. Um, Dogen quotes a teacher. I didn't write down the teacher's name because I forgot to do that. So you can look it up. Read Zenki. It's short. I, w- I almost read it tonight. But the reason I'm, oh, I'm sorry I missed Zazen. Because I was kind of like redoing all of this. Because I changed my mind about stuff. Um, so I was going to read you all Zenki. And then I'm like, that's so weird though. It's so quickly. Um, and it's one of those, uh, it's like when you ride in a boat. He loves, it's like when you ride in a boat. Dogen. And uh, I don't know. I didn't want to go there. But there's, if, if I could extract one line. He quotes someone, she, teacher, must have been from China, because he wouldn't have quoted anyone from Japan, because they weren't good enough in his eyes. Um, uh, in birth, the whole works appears. And in death, the whole works appears. A sneak attack. In birth, the whole works is manifest, and in death, the whole works is manifest. And in your joy and in your um, ease, uh, the whole works is manifest. And in your pain and in your reluctance and in your aversion, the whole works is manifest. So the the gatha, or the verse, that you can have in your heart is, uh, even this is harmony. Even this way I feel right now is harmony. Even this is an expression of everything that is happening. This is reality. This is reality. And not fixating on a snapshot of it and replacing the next moment with an imitation of your feeling about the previous moment. Does that make any sense? Um, It's like... You could, I don't know why. The, you know the song Ride Like the Wind by uh, Christopher Cross and Michael McDonald? It's really great. It's a really great song. I like that whole genre. Um, but uh, uh, or p- picture any song. P- think of your favorite song. You can listen to it, or you can have me hum it to you. You know? And when you're telling yourself a story about what happened and what should happen and why it's, it's you're humming yourself reality. You're humming it to yourself. It's an imitation, you know, with a lot of elements missing. A lot of elements missing. Um, there's a saying in Zen, don't be a board-carrying fool. It's like if you're carrying lumber on your shoulder, you can only see everything on this direction. <laughs> you know? 
So whenever we're fixated on a story about reality, we're telling ourselves 180 degrees or less, you know, 180 degrees if you're lucky, uh, of, of what's really happening. And it's usually coming from this sense of uh, protection, either self-protection, protecting your state of mind, protecting your happiness, you know, and longing and going after things is another way of protecting our state of mind and protecting our happiness, you know. So this is Buddha's whole deal. By exaggerating the positive qualities of something and thinking that if I'm close to it, I will secure joy. And by exaggerating the negative qualities of something and uh, distancing myself from it, I will secure joy or happiness or peace. Feel okay. You know? Now, the reason why uh, pursuing objects doesn't work, and an object, I'm not just talking about pursuing objects like tangible things, I mean, uh, if I think your love is going to, to help me, I'm pursuing an object. I'm objectifying this, I'm, by making it a concept, I'm objectifying your subjectivity by making it an object of my desire. Does that make sense? I'm short-circuiting the subjectivity of you um, and erasing so many aspects of you and saying, there's this thing called your love, and if I get it, it's going to help me. You know? And we think that's a, a union. You know? But we're objectifying aspects of people with our own subjective experience. And that comes through in everything. It's not just sentient things. You know? and like In tea ceremony, there's a way that you behave with everything because you're actually valuing the subjective experience of a cup. Valuing the subjective experience of tea and water. All these things are manifestations of Buddha mind and part of the total dynamic functioning. So we, we have care with everything. That's why in the, the self-receiving and employing samadhi that we chant here sometimes on the weekdays, Dogen says, um, because earth, grass, trees, walls, tiles, and pebbles all engage in Buddha activity. Those who receive the benefit of wind and water caused by them are inconceivably helped by the Buddha's guidance, splendid and unthinkable, and awakened intimately to themselves. Earth, grass, trees, walls, tiles, and pebbles all engage in Buddha activity. This is letting the dynamic aspect of reality, the, the, the incandescent quality of what's happening, be seen by you being able to receive the grace of the incandescent quality of reality. And when we get into should, and when we get into fair, and when we get into me, and when we pretend like there's such a thing as an object, that there's ever been such a thing as an object, we're bullshitting ourselves and turning our back on, on, on Buddha's offering, on the universe's offering. So I wanted to do a quick... No, I feel like I already did good on that. I was going to do... Some of you have seen me do this little thing with the sticks where I try to show you what emptiness is. Has anyone ever seen me do this? No. Why don't I do it? Okay. It might be... I feel like that was so good that this might be kind of kindergarten after that. Um, (laughs) But I want to talk about, you know, objects don't satisfy because there's no such thing as an object. And that's... uh, and that's huge, actually. Because usually, if um, there's pain, but then there's like this vexation. 
there's this neurotic vexation. Uh, and, and if you look, the thing that crept in there, that, that's the catalyst for a neurotic vexation, is believing in an object. Objectifying something, and con concepts are a way of objectifying something. Yeah. And even if the object is this one, it's undermining total dynamic function. It's an it's a imitation. So, what do we have here? This is about emptiness. This is about non-self. So we have... Someone answer, for fun. Strokes. What? Line strokes. Okay. What else? Pick up sticks. Pick up sticks. What else would you say? Curved lines. Curved. Just one. Or well, I guess I didn't. I didn't use a ruler, so maybe they're all slightly curved. Oh. Yeah. Paper and ink. What? Paper, Paper and, and ink. ink. There's so many ways to to say what this is. Dead you know? trees. Dead trees. <laughs> Chemicals. <laughs> are they dead? Are they dead when you look at them? Bacteria. Bacteria. Black and white. Black and white. Um. So we got. Uh. The way, I the way I'll describe it, there's so many ways to describe it, isn't that interesting? But it's one reality. But the concept that you make out of it are very varied, depending on your subjective experience, which depends on your karma, which depends on the experience of your mind from beginningless time. It makes you gonna, it's going to make you say one thing. What's that? Oh, uh, say one thing one way or another, you know? So someone has pick up six karma, someone has dead trees karma, you know? <laughs> From beginningless time, your mind has been perfumed in such a way that you would either say pick up tricks, sticks or dead, dead trees. And given uh, what day it is, what time of day it is, how you feel about things, it's either pick up sticks or dead trees. This is how we are with everything. How do we call it? What, 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 what name are we, are we giving the things that we call objects? And what does it have to do? And how much of our subjective experience is, is littering it with its you know, poor little innocent bystander is just sitting here minding its own business and you're telling it what it is. <laughs> you know? But what I'll call it, if you got eight short sticks, uh, seven long sticks, and one curve, one semicircle. Okay? So you can take all those components and put them together. Now what do you want to call it? Fence with Ends with the sun coming up. You know, like this is a Virgo arranging sticks, right? Or um, gun, you know, train or something. I don't know, an old train. Like, in, like a steam engine with the Jetsons dome. Um, uh, same components arranged differently elicits a different name. And then... You could put them together in another way. Same components arranged differently. Not quite to scale. Well, what do you see? A mountain, a triangle, and a, almost a, a smiley face. Yeah. Do you, do you feel your mind massaging this into something you can name? Because it's almost a cat. It's yeah. almost a jack-o'-lantern. 
what, am, what the heck, you know, and you feel your inner workings. Your senses are communicating with your sense of self and are communicating with your own personal history, your own emotional alert database or your concept database, and they're trying to figure out what the hell's going on over here. <laughs> you know? Can't you see the mountains there? I don't see what you see. Breast. <laughs> see? <laughs> How much? It's, if you arrange them all again, what do we have? <laughs> Same components. You put it all together. Now, when we see this, our mind, we do not notice that whole workings of our mind massaging it into something we can recognize. It is immediate. We all know. We all know that this is screaming water at us from its own side. But this water is a temporary juxtaposition that is dependent on our karma to make it what it is. Dependent on our minds to make it what it is. Does that make sense? So when we see something, we think it's telling us what it is. So the whole point of not-self and emptiness in Buddhism is that um, we are imputing essence on things that have no fixed essence. Does that make sense? Um... If I was sitting here 13 years ago, and you say, who is that? You wouldn't say Koji. You wouldn't say priest. You wouldn't say Zen. All that would be, you'd be like, oh, that's Rick from that band. You know, he's from Monterey. You wouldn't say he's from New Orleans, or you wouldn't say he's the, you know, no, you know. Um, every, all the, that, that essence is not fixed. It's not coming from its own side, and it's not inherent. It's a total dynamic functioning. So, uh, what do you think about yourself? What do you think about what's happening? What do you call it? What do you name things? Yeah. Are they good or bad? Are they what should be happening? Or are they what shouldn't be happening? Am I a lazy kind of person? Am I a stubborn kind of person? Yeah. These are all subject to cause and effect. Every little one of them. Now, if you now we have a whole new set of ingredients, you know, a little bit stranger to us. But if you put them all together, you get this. Isn't it obvious what this is? But if you read Thai, this would scream water at you, just like the English word "water" did, from its own side. You don't have the karma to apprehend and impute the essence on this. But if we were in Thailand, this would obviously mean water, screaming at you from its own side. Yeah. So this is to highlight the, um, the degree to which we make our world. So what would be the remedy? When am I supposed to stop? Anywhere? Whenever you're ready. No, that's not the answer. <laughs> when am I supposed to stop? <laughs> Eleven? Okay. Um, that's one answer. <laughs> did you say should? Uh, supposed to. When did I say should? Oh, supposed to. I said supposed to. Yeah, should is not right in there. I did say should recently. I said it shouldn't be this hard. Yeah. So, the antidote 
so to speak. So what do we do? So we're habituated, we're deeply habituated to impute essence on things and revolve our attentions around snapshots of reality instead of opening our hearts to the whole total dynamic functioning, to the uh, whole works of birth and the whole works of death, the whole works of joy and the whole works of sorrow. Yeah. People want to be happy, but happy is such a narrow slice of what being a person is. Such a, such a narrow slice. That's like saying, um, I only want to watch musicals, you know? I'm like that. I only, actually, I, only, I like comedy and Doctor Who, and that's it. I'm not really interested. People are like, you want to watch, you know, horror movies? I'm like, Jesus, life's hard enough. You know? um, or dramas, it's like, oh. Do we, can we, we have enough. Um, what the hell was the point of that? Um, oh, I want to, oh, I want to be happy, I want to be happy. But, um, happiness doesn't, um, happiness doesn't manifest as happiness without, without its opposites. You, you won't notice happiness. Happiness will just be the way it is, you know. It's it's a it's a uh, and then it'll invi- it'll be invisible as happiness. You know? Kind of like when you see someone infrequently, the way you value them, rather than if they're there every day and they're kind of like, eh, you know. Sometimes uh, uh, with family, it can be like that, or if you're growing up, you know, if you, if you have kids or if you have parents, and there's this way that we. If you had a positive relationship, you take your family for granted. And then when you're separate from each other, it's like, oh, jeez, there's this thing happening. There's this thing, you know, when I think back on my childhood, I didn't even know it's what was happening. I didn't know it was my childhood. <laughs> I thought it was life. <laughs> you know? It was it, uh, you know, um, slipped right away. Um, so, uh, the practice, the practice. So this desire that we have, you know, if you read the, the male version of Buddhism, um, the early version of Buddhism, the way it was codified in the Pali texts, the early texts, um, uh, desire is uh, to be abandoned. Yeah. And in a sense that there's something to that. But if you, if you read that sentence and think you understand what it means, you're in for a world of difficulties because you will not be abandoning the energetic reality of desire. Because the energetic reality of desire is uh, the whole works. It's part of the whole works. It's an integral part of the whole works. And without the energetic experience of desire, no kind of awakening is ever going to happen. So if you try to turn off that tap, you're going to be a very strange, fragmented person. Um, and it's going to plug this up and then it's going to come bursting out over here. You know? <laughs> um, and later on, because this is, you know, Buddha said what he said, and it, most of it's pretty, pretty, pretty good. Got it. He might have been wrong on a few things. But, um, and then you had all these men trying to protect it, making a thing out of it, you know? Uh, not not having any voice of any of the lay practitioners, and, you know, everything that's written down is they, they say there's a fourfold sangha, but all the scriptures are written from the perspective of 
one-fourth of the Sangha. Yeah. And my Zendo in New Orleans, we used to call Mahapajapati the first nun, the founder of the complete Sangha. Yeah. She finished what Buddha started, actually, by, by integrating both sides of, of the human experience, or at least both sides, hopefully more. Yeah. Yeah. Nowadays, when people say, ladies and gentlemen, I'm like, that's it? Just the two? Um, um, But um, and, but then later, so that that became a so that that a certain company men protecting and 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 uh, re, uh, relating things based on the ideals of the culture of the time, which was like if you're holy, you you subdue all of this naughty business, you know. Um, but. What happened later on with the Mahayana revolution and with the Tantric revolution, which strongly influenced Zen, and the Tantric revolution comes from a lay matriarchal tradition that was not trying to establish any kind of school. These are female yoginis in Kashmir and, um, what's it called, Orissa, inventing this very life-affirming way of, of honoring all the energy, but... but um, but having it uh, not being fixated on objects. So the desire that you have is what's going to awaken you if you don't fixate it on an object. Let your desire become your awareness. Let your desire become your engagement with reality and your opening up to the whole works. Yeah. And, in the, and in an early text from that tantric tradition called the uh, Spandakarika, Spanda means divine tremor or the sacred tremor. So it means song of the sacred tremor. This is an early tantric text from that tradition. All the relative notions tied to the ego rediscover their peaceful source deeply buried under all the different states. So there's a source buried under all the different states. You could trace back the manifestation aspects of your your conceptuality into a, a peaceful source. And this is also the, in the first line of uh, Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. It says, Yoga Chitta Driti Naroda. And so it's union is the cessation. Union is yoga. Naroda is cessation. Chitta Driti is, Chitta's mind. Driti is waves. So yoga, union happens when the mind waves cease. The cessation of mind waves creates union. So you have when you're not fragmenting your experience with rotating your awareness around conceptualizations, you are experiencing an unfractured, nourishing source of awareness. If that makes any sense. That brings your life to life. and brings the totality of your life to life. Um, without selecting and rejecting. So all the relative notions, relative notions tied to the ego, rediscover their peaceful source deeply buried under all the different states. In the absolute sense, pleasure, suffering, subject, and object are nothing other than the space of profound consciousness. To grasp this fundamental truth is to see freedom everywhere. Thus, this activity of the senses itself dwells in the fundamental freedom and pours forth from it. So our way of engaging reality is to have a very sensual experience of our reality. Maybe when you're sitting zazen, uh, let your zazen be an expression of your desire to be aware, your desire to have union with reality without fixating on any object and letting the pleasure 
of the, of the variety of, of um, experiences that you have when you just let that desire come forth without fixating on an object manifest. Does that make any sense? That was a long set. That was a run-on sentence. <laughs> um, therefore, the person who rediscovers these, this essential sacred tremor of consciousness escapes the dim confusion of limited desire. And the key word there is limited desire. Actually, so I'd say, I'm, you know, to the extent that I'm a representative of the Buddhist tradition, uh, have unlimited desire. But just don't fixate it on objects. Let your desire come forth as uh, a connection to uh, the whole works. A non-obsessive, non-conceptualizing connection to the whole works. Let, let the world reveal itself to you. Earth, grass, trees, walls, tiles, and pebbles. Engaging in Buddha activity. And receive the benefits of the wind and water caused by them. Feeling the wind. Feeling like you're in the water. The water of reality. Feeling the breeze of reality. Having your finger on the pulse of what's happening all the time. Actor and action are united, but when action is dissolved by abandoning the fruit of the act, the very dynamic that is tied to the ego exhausts itself. This is very similar to the uh, karma yoga and the Bhagavad Gita. The practitioner who is absorbed in this profound contemplation discovers the divine tremor and is liberated from ties to the ego. Next time you wash your hands... Uh, enter the ecstasy of washing your hands. Don't think you know what it is. You're like, who? Which hand is washing which hand? You know, and is the water washing my hand, or am I washing the water, or is God washing my water in my hands? <laughs> you know, or am I washing God's hands with my water, or is God the water, or is the hands the water? Yeah. Um, always, in God, I want to. I use that word God. I uh, I think there's a term for it at. An apathetic language, maybe. Um, uh, you know, in Buddhism, I think it's because of the boys again. Uh, very logical and constantly negating. And then what are you left with? You know? So there's a positive aspect of the dynamic functioning. And then realizing the error of that, we started saying things like Buddha nature or big mind or something like that. But you can have God. Take God. Take grace. A little grace is good. You know, uh, uh, Osho, the little stinker, said um, Hinduism makes people feel better and Buddhism wakes people up. Uh, um, but uh, in order to wake up, it's good to feel better. It helps you wake up when you feel better, actually. So if there's anything that's... Uh, if there's any grace to receive from your existence, take it. And don't logic yourself out of it. So emptiness, <laughs> emptiness, emptiness. It, and there's no... and there, it doesn't make reality more real to fixate on aspects of it, and th- you know, um, or to cut off any nourishment in service of the real thing of emptiness. You don't know what the real thing of emptiness is yet. It's got to reveal itself to you. And it doesn't reveal itself as emptiness. It reveals itself as total dynamic functioning, everything you see. Um, Always present to the reality that one perceives as the play of one's own nature, the practitioner is liberated at the very heart of life. Through the intensity of objectless desire, contemplation emerges in the heart of the practitioner, united to the profound sacred tremor. 
This is the attainment of the supreme nectar, the immortality of samadhi, which reveals to the practitioner one's own nature, their own nature. But if you're not present, you will be wronged by the play of manifestation, and you'll experience the illusory state of the aspirant through waking and sleeping. So the state of aspirant is considered illusory. Because as soon as you say I'm an aspirant, or as soon as you say I'm a seeker, you're creating this gulf between you and your own heart. Because your heart's where you're trying to land. It's not, it's not aspirant. It's, it's, it's allowing, it's allowing. And this word samadhi, the immortality of samadhi, uh, Kosho Uchiyama Roshi, who's a 20th century teacher, a teacher of Shohaku Okamura, calls samadhi uh, right acceptance. Right acceptance. So uh, taking me and should and ideals out of the equation and receiving um, the, uh, the whole works, which manifests inside as this thing called the sacred tremor. It's this nourishing, this nourishing vibration, yeah. um, which stabilizes us amidst all the shit. Yeah. You got your finger on the pulse of, of, of the whole. The big picture. Um, Grass, trees, and lands which are embraced by this teaching together radiate a great light and endlessly expound the inconceivable. Are grass, are you relating to grass, trees, and lands in a way that you're seeing that they are endlessly expounding the inconceivable? And what are the steps to, to have such an experience? Grass, trees, and walls bring forth the teaching for all beings, common people as well as sages, and the intercord extend this dharma for the sake of grass, trees, and walls. It's a love affair. You know, one of the tantric practices is to, uh, to believe that all objects desire you. So you have this relation, you know, this cup, it, out of its love for me, is here and it's in my hands and it's full of water. You know? Um, creates a, 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 a relationship with the world that's actually more honest. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not sugarcoating anything, actually. It's, 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 it's going into the dynamic rather than objectifying things, and fixing them in time and space, and limiting them with our ideas about them. When even for a moment you express the Buddha seal in body, speech, and mind with right acceptance, the whole phenomenal world becomes a Buddha seal and the entire sky turns into enlightenment. So when you practice right acceptance of what's arising and in sensory engagement of what's arising, uh, the, whole, the whole world becomes enlightenment. The whole sky turns into enlightenment. Isn't that neat? Because what makes what makes it what makes the sky not enlightened? Uh, what I'm doing to it, what I'm doing to myself, the way I'm engaging the unfolding of what's happening, bottles it all up. Yeah. In reality, doesn't 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 do well in captivity. You know, like an orca. Reality doesn't live well in captivity. So if you're capturing reality with your mind, it's not going to survive. Yeah. 
Um, I'm two minutes over, but if anyone has a, I, I'd hate, I'd hate to leave with it. You know what we'll do? Here's what I do. Because I don't like mingling. It stresses me out because there's no format. So um, during tea time, I'll come back in here, and if anyone wants to chat, I'll be in here. Does that make? Or do you guys? Does it have to? Okay. Cool. All right. Thank you so much. <coughs> May our intention.